The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And joining me on this episode, it is not one, but two iconic guitarists. First up, formerly of KISS, currently in Grand Funk Railroad, it is Bruce Kulick. We talk about his new single with his wife, Lisa, and... We take a 25th anniversary look back on the Kiss Revenge album. I absolutely love that album. In fact, um, it was the soundtrack to my summer back in 1992. Nothing said good times more than driving around Montreal with the windows down, the sunroof open, and just blasting out unholy all over the place. Uh, Listen, I played the album every day. And later that year, I got to see the Kiss Revenge show at the Montreal Forum in October, actually. And it absolutely wonderful, glorious. Still ranks as one of my favorite concerts ever. So there you go. Uh, on the second uh, part of the show, I have got Thin Lizzy Black Star writers guitarist Scott Gorm. Their new album is called Heavy Fire. And uh, what can I say? Love it. Absolutely love it. The band has three albums out, and they just keep getting better and better and better. Uh, if this was horse racing, you would have your triple crown right there. Um, in fact, I would highly recommend that not only you check out Heavy Fire, but you check out the band's second album, The Killer Instinct. Easy to say, or safe to say, that the Black Star Riders are my favorite new band of the last decade. But uh, before we get to uh, Bruce and Scott, here is your friend and mine from Firehouse, guitarist Bill Leverty, with your rock news. Hey, thanks a lot, Mitch. And here's your rock news. The band Europe have finished recording their new album at the legendary Abbey Road Studios. It's slated for an October release, but first, the band hits the road for their Electric Summer Tour 2017. Also in the news, Fozzie and singer Chris Jericho have released their new single, Judas. The as-yet-untitled full album comes out later this year. The band is currently on the road on their Judas Rising Tour. Don't miss it. And finally, former Anthrax guitarist Dan Spitz, along with one-time Aussie Quiet Riot bassist Rudy Sarzo and ex-Journey drummer Dean Castronovo, have formed the nucleus of a new supergroup. Expect new music soon, or as they claim, the war has begun. That's it for the news. Thanks for listening, guys. Back to you, Mitch. Thank you, Bill. Remember to check out Bill at Leverty.com. While you're checking stuff out, please head over to Twitter. Check me out at Mitch LaFon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And head over to the Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon Facebook. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. And joining me now to discuss the 25th anniversary of the Kiss Revenge album, it is guitarist Bruce Kulick. The album originally came out on May 19th, 1992. And just a little side story for you. By 1992, I had sort of moved on into, you know, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Metallica territory and had, I don't want to say abandoned Kiss, but had, you know ignored Kiss uh, unintentionally, but I remember walking in front of the uh, TV set in my living room uh, up here in Canada, and and much music was playing, and the Kiss Unholy video was on, and I sat down, and I was like, man, this is a great song. Who is this? 
and I watched it, and I watched it, and I saw a blonde drummer, and I had no idea who he was. Um, and then I saw uh, what appeared to be Paul Stanley and, and what appeared to be Gene Simmons, but just looking mean and nasty. And, and I was like, what, who, who is this? I'm loving this song. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm loving it. And, of course, the song plays through three minutes later, and it says, Kiss Unholy. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, man. And, you know, this is pre-internet. You didn't know all the time about albums coming out and this and that. Anyway, uh, I saw that, and I went to the record store, and they said, no, 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 the album comes out, in, you know, next month or in two weeks. And I was like, oh, God, I can't wait around, you know. But I did. And uh, May 19th, 1992, finally arrived, and the Kiss Revenge album was promptly bought by me, and I have loved it ever since. And, um, you know, uh, having Eric Carr pass away in between Hot in the Shade and, and Revenge was um, exceptionally tragic, a great, great loss. But Eric Singer stepped in, and I just became enamored with his playing. It was just exactly what the band needed. It was a kick in the pants, a great revival, and so, you know, the KISS Revenge lineup, sadly, 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 was very short. Uh, you know, only lasting until 1995. The band, I think, I think, should definitely do something more. Hopefully on one of the KISS cruises, perhaps, there could be a KISS Revenge cruise where, you know, they do the makeup sets with Tommy and Eric and, and do what they do now. But then just one night, have Bruce come out and just do a couple of the songs. I think, I think that would be great. And um, anyway... You know, listen, I, I could ramble on all day about revenge and, you know, like I said before, driving in Montreal with the windows down and the sunroof open and listening to Unholy and I Just Wanna and Heart of Chrome and... But there it is. Um, and, uh, by the way, uh, Mark Tornillo of Accept um, did a cover of the song Spit, which is out on iTunes. I, I would definitely recommend looking up... Um, Kiss, A World with Heroes, or Kiss Tribute, Mark Tornillo doing, uh, from Accept, doing Spit. Just a great version. Anyway, uh, enough about that, enough about everything else. I know you want to hear the interview, so let's get to the interview. Here is, without further ado, former Kiss guitarist and current Grand Funk Railroad guitarist, the one, the only, Bruce Kulik. We are speaking with guitarist Bruce Kulik, currently uh, in Grand Funk Railroad, but of course previously in... Kiss. Uh, good day, Bruce. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, always a pleasure. And of course, mm -hmm. it is May of 2017, so we've got a special 25th anniversary of Revenge to talk about. But before we get to that... <laughs> How uh, time flies, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I gotta say, I, I thought maybe we were at like 15 years or something. When you see mm -hmm. 25, mm -hmm. you go, holy... I know. You know, that's, I know, that's a half a century ago this album came out, but... Yeah, and I just noticed a plaque on my wall that had to do with the Rock Walk, and we did that in May of 92, and then I did a little bit of math, and I realized, oh my, we did the handprints for Revenge, and, and you know, this is a, a, in front of Guitar Center in Hollywood, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I can't believe it's going to be 25 years now since uh, all that went down. It's wonderful. Well. I guess that's the mark of a good album, though, that 25 years later, people are still interested in the story and talking about it. But before we get yeah. to that, mm -hmm. you have recently 
um, and I don't want to, what's the word, teamed up? I mean, you haven't really teamed up, right? <laughs> I You're, like teamed up, that's fine. Right, you've yeah. teamed up, right? You, yeah, yeah. Um, I've joined forces. You've joined <laughs> forces uh, with, with your wife. The Rebel <laughs> Alliance, and no, no, never mind. Uh, right, may, may the fourth, yeah. may, right. But, but with you, a very unusual person in my life. My wife, you right. know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, you know I've had a lot of featured guests, you know, but I've never, yeah. and I flipped it, actually. I thought it was more fair for this to be Lisa Lane Kulik, you know, Correct. featuring Bruce. Look, Correct. Okay. Right. So, so you got a new song called uh, "If I Could Show You." So, mm-hmm. before we get into the the history of revenge, just just talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, uh, putting out a song with your wife is it just a song, or do we eventually get to a whole album? I don't really know what uh, new territories I'm venturing into, except for the fact that from about uh, I'd say seven years ago, I had the desire to you know to do some things with Lisa because uh, when my be- my dad passed away in 2010. And I remember my mom was living at one of those retirement places, and she said, you know, usually the family does some sort of, uh, you know, memorial thing, and I'd really like you to perform, and I know Lisa sings, so could you do something? You know, how are you going to tell my grieving mom no, okay, right? And Lisa, I knew she sang, and we never really uh, spent much time working on anything, but, but we prepared a little set. In, fa- in fact, my brother joined us on, the, on Stormy Monday. And we did Somewhere Over the Rainbow and stuff like that because Lisa has this tr- tremendous voice that's, that's part of, as much as she loves rock and all, uh, her real love is like in the standards, you know, from, from Sinatra and the Rat Pack and Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. All right. But she was a big fan of Hart, Pat Benatar, and people like that. So um, we didn't do that for my, my, you know, the senior home. Okay. <laughs> but I realized that we hit something. Something happened that day. And I remember I was so moved by us performing together. And then when years later, our wedding was in 2014 and Lisa suggested, could we record a song that I, we will do our first dance at? And that's up on iTunes, you know, and, and that's when uh, I dreamed of you. Okay. And that's, she's singing much more like a, like a Barbra Streisand. It was a Barbra Streisand song actually. And that went over great, you know, and, you know, Gene and Paul and Eric Singer at the wedding and everything. We're doing our first dance and whether they knew what we were playing was, Actually, Lisa singing and me playing jazz guitar with a piano player. You know, I, I, I would, you know, I did it. I did it announce it that way, but it went over really well, and everybody was like blown away that that we have this chemistry like that. We thought of doing more in the future, but we weren't sure what. At one point, we thought, "Hey, let's do Christmas EP." You know, and even though I'm Jewish, fine, but I love a lot of Christmas songs, and she's not Jewish, but. We were going to do that, and then last year I had a lot of issues with my mom's health. Thankfully, she's fine now, and I had some other personal at-home things that we had to take care of that we couldn't get to it. But Christmas time, we performed. Uh, Christmas time is here, um, and it went up on Facebook. And it went. It really, you know, we just recorded it live in the living room. You know, I got a tripod for my iPhone, and that was it. Me on guitar, gold top, and her singing. And it really blew up on the internet. Unfortunately, Facebook took it down actually because the Universal claimed copyright infringement. They, you know, it, it's that Charlie Brown, uh, Vince Guaraldi's uh, version of that song, okay, from the Peanuts movie, you know, the Christmas movie. Right. So uh, it is on YouTube. It survives there. I, I found it to be a little odd that they, I think they were dinging and looking for things like that. That was very successful. I made no money from that. You know what I mean? I'm just sharing a Christmas song in the holiday spirit for my fans. But that sparked us to do more, okay? Then we thought, do we continue? Living room sessions, what do we do, you know? And then she told me we were thinking first Valentine's Day, then we were thinking, okay, maybe sometime in April would be nice to put out 
whatever. I know she she always has really great ideas that that are outside the box sometimes that I overreact to. I'll be honest. That's the one hard thing about working, of course, with your your significant other. But in the end, um, we started to fool around with the song that we also used at the wedding called "If I Could Show You." Okay. And what we did was when she was walked down the aisle by uh, her son, um, the a good friend of ours, Andrew London, who's an artist that I've recorded with, young guy, really, really talented singer, songwriter, and he played it on the piano, uh, you know, a short version. And he updated the lyrics because that song was around during my BK3 album, but never finished, okay? And Lisa always felt like it was a great, there was something great there. And then when Andrew, like, updated it, uh, she was in love with it and wanted it at the wedding. Okay. So then she says to me, I would like to sing that song. I'm like, okay, uh, should we do it in the living room? You know, acoustic guitar, you singing, I could change the key for you because it's in the male vocal range right now. And she said, uh, well, let's work on it and we'll see what happens, you know? And then next thing I know, this all happened organically. And I'll give you the short story. We went from just maybe just doing an acoustic and her to let's record an acoustic and piano with Andrew and in the studio though, and we can film it. And then it goes from there to, no, let's now do it like BK3, you know, drums, bass, guitar, lead guitar. And you, you, you see how that's a lot different from right. an acoustic guitar and a vocal in the living room. Okay. Right. Now it becomes a, a complete production. Right. Whenever I do things like this, I want to be in a great studio, which is, there's a place in, in Van Nuys I love called Stag, where I did a lot of BK3. And now I'm working with my team, the people that helped engineer and helped produce me to help have them all involved. And, 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 and in some ways, I mean, that was the right call, okay, but it was very stressful at times because the challenge of how to make my wife's voice fit what I'm known for or what I like to do. You know, if we were just going to cover a Frank Sinatra song, no one would have any strange expectations. But if we're going to do a more kind of a rock song, you know, uh, something I wrote back that I almost included in BK3, uh, that's a challenge, you know, and it caused uh, a lot of stress in some ways. Lisa had a lot of confusion as to, you know, is this a song for Disney or is it a rock tune that, that I can, you know, share with my husband, who's known as this, you know, rock guitar player. So there was challenges and uh, with a lot of hard work, I, I really think we have a great balance of something that features her that fits me it, well, you know, it was always, you know, something I wrote, so it was always me. But you follow what I'm saying, that it just needed to be organically um, comfortable together, you know. And uh, I'm very proud of it. Um, and as much as it was a struggle, most good things are a struggle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, in life. Oh, yeah. So, um, and it didn't cause any real bad, uh, you know, fights or anything, but it did cause, you know, a lot of controversy as to, like, how to go about it, you know, the best way to move forward and and you know generally i you know life is political too so you always have to you know like how do you tell your wife you know i think that's a bad idea or what are you doing you know which i literally had to say the first time she was rehearsing to the recording that we actually did because she was overthinking it and trying to be like well maybe uh like the voice you know what i mean like the tv show you know and I'm like, you have to be you, stop that, just sing. And then it came together. So just really proud that we got it out there. And uh, it came out like just, just about a week and a half after we performed together live at a Kiss Expo, too, in Indianapolis. There, of course, we just covered some Kiss songs, you know, which went over very, very well. And I want to continue to do some things like that with her. I know um, New York Expo comes up in June. Peter Chris is at that one. 
and Lisa and I are going to perform a, a, a set of, of songs, which, of course, this original will be part of it. And the rest, I'm sure, will be Kiss songs that we love that I think can showcase her well. Oh, that'll be great. So mm-hmm. so I'm looking for... Boy, I, I should probably get down to that New York uh, convention then because... Uh, getting yeah, to if see... you can, it should be a fun night. I, it's it's just got announced... Um, I think I think the promoter's actually putting me up on the... Uh, I might be on the site already. I, I was only able to confirm it uh, earlier this week, actually. But, um, yeah, we're booked to be there. And it, it looks like, you know, it's also going to be held in a really famous place. Uh, Lisa knows everything about big band and the history of, like, you know, the 40s and, and 30s, 40s, and 50s music. And that hotel, um, I'm forgetting the name right now, but it's at an iconic hotel that's across the street from Grand Central Station, I think. Wow. Or Penn Station, rather. I think it's called the Pennsylvania Hotel, actually. Right. But the ballroom, at the, on the, which is where he's holding it, the promoter, um, really iconic. All the famous big band recordings um, from the 40s, Benny Goodman, Wartime, and everything, they were all recorded there in that room. So, like, Lisa, like, she just lit up when I said, he's doing it at the Pennsylvania Hotel. She said, oh, my God. I said, yeah, it's in the ballroom on the, on the top floor. And she goes, like, oh, my God, do you realize what was going on there? You know, back in the, in, in the day, you know, and so we're pretty excited about that, too. Oh, that's going to be great. So, and I've uh, never been to that hotel. You know, I'm a New Yorker originally, but I, you know, I wasn't really aware of it. So that's kind of cool. You know, I know the iconic vintage things in L.A. Living here all these years, but that one I didn't know. It would actually be fun if uh, if, uh, if Peter and you got to do something. Just a, you know, you play acoustic guitar on on Beth or whatever. That would be that would be fun too. Um, you know, the night before, and it's separate of the expo. And right. and Peter is doing the same thing in Australia coming up. Okay. Right. Um, because I'll be there, but the, he is doing like these, like very unique, like last time performance, you know, kind of things. And I'm kind of letting him have his whole thing. I mean, look, you got to remember it was a really magical time unplugged when all six kiss members, you know what I mean? Former and present and everything performed. But, um, you know, I think that, that those events for Peter really need to be his, you know what I mean? And, And he has to shine. I, I don't believe at the expo he has any performance, just like the LA expo. He didn't perform, but now that he's um, has this desire to feel like he wants to do some final concerts, what he's calling it, which I think should be really, really interesting. Um, he's doing that in Australia, and then he's doing it uh, in New York. But it's the night before, and it's completely separate of the expo. You might get confused by that, but uh, right. that's that's what's happening for him. But you know, speaking of revenge, which I know you want to get to, right. One of the hardest songs um, I had to relearn and play by myself, which um, which is on Revenge, is Every Time I Look at You, which uh, you know Lisa always loved, and we right. did that live in Indy. It's up there on my Facebook. It, it, it got around. Somebody captured it, thankfully. Yeah. No, I and saw it. I it was played, an yeah, interesting cool. performance. Yeah, it was a great performance. Well, and... you know, yeah, by myself. You know what I mean? With her, yep. she's got the range, so she can do that stuff. But uh, me, I got to be the whole band on one guitar. It's crazy. But I, I rise to the occasion and do what I can. Yeah. yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that song too because um I think we we've over the last 10 years jokingly have talked about uh, Dick Wagner and and you doing the solo and this yeah, and that and so we'll get to that but l- l- let me start at the at the beginning with Revenge. Mm-hmm. It's the first album for Kiss in the 90s. Uh Eric Carr has passed away. You're coming off a Hot in the Shade which was you know, it had some hits, but it but it mostly had sort of a tepid reception. You know, f- the Kiss fans dug it, but sort of the rest of the rock fans sort of went, okay. Um, what were the pressures going into this one? Because you're now having to 
to, to, to replace a member. You're now having to... The music scene has changed. We're not doing hair metal anymore. We're getting a little... Um, what was that like going into the studio thinking, okay, we've got to redefine... I mean, was there even that thought, we have to redefine ourselves? Or what, sort of what was the No, I, I mean... Look, there's always a lot of factors every time, you know, a band's going to put out an album, you know, like, like you mentioned that the music was changing a bit. I think the biggest uh, uh, thing that impeded a bigger success for Revenge it was uh, the power of grunge and, and metal bands uh, or whatever you want to lump Kiss into, even though I think Kiss is unique uh, throughout every era. Um, it, it, so I, I think, unfortunately, the album got ignored more than it should have. It started really with a, a real desire to work with Bob Ezrin. Um, you got to remember, it also started technically with a soundtrack song, God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Okay. Um, you know, the movie, that was easy. It was uh, whatever label was do, getting involved with the soundtrack to that movie, and they wanted Kiss. Right. They thought this song would be great. Those guys re, kind of changed the lyrics. We worked it up our way. And that song, of course, appears on the record, but that started the proof that Ezrin was in the ballpark, you know, there was always this drama in Kiss, whether or not uh, we knew he was brilliant, but I wasn't around for Destroyer or The Elder, but I could only go by what Gina Paul would say, so that he was on his game in Destroyer and Elder. He wasn't, okay? Uh, be that as it may, some people think The Elder is the best album that they ever did anyway, right? So, but you know how well, Kiss yeah. fans are. So I, I, would, I would disagree with The Elder being the best album they've ever made. Destroyer maybe, but not... Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, I know, and I'm not, but I'm just saying, you know that you can't... You, you can't have everyone perfect with the polling, but you know how important, oh, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. for revenge is for the non-makeup era. Right. You know, there's no doubt. Okay. But Ezrin was very clear from the very beginning that he was in charge. He's going to help co-write some songs. He's going to uh, really produce it. And it took almost a year. What? And here Eric, you know, Carr is ill. Eric Carr is uh, dealing with this terrible cancer thing. Uh, who's going to play drums? Um, it would be too hard to, to burden him to be in the studio this way. He couldn't with the chemo and everything. It really wasn't fair, you know, to expect him to be involved, even though, um, you know, they, they kind of did give him a shot even, but it was, they were brutal with a professional guy like Ainsley Dunbar, for example. Okay. And it just worked out that Eric Singer from Paul Solos or we're in LA now, the whole band, uh, he was going to be the right fit to do the record. He wasn't a member of KISS yet, okay? But we got through the recordings, you know, and then because of one schedule thing, I think there's a song that Eric Singer is not on. I think it might be Kevin Valentine. Correct. I can't remember very well. I think it is Kevin. Kevin and on, that's only on because he had to go whisk off to Alice Cooper gigs, you right. know, because Eric was not a member of KISS, okay? And the decision, especially once we lost Eric, and we were still recording. I know. I went to the funeral, uh, three days later, back in L.A., and, all right, Bruce, do the guitars on. We decided to do, you know, we're going to you know, have a tribute to Eric. It's going to be Car Jam, uh, you know, a track I never heard before, a track I didn't know existed before, a drum solo thing, you know. And you know it had something to do with a song with, in another version with Ace, you know, Breakout or something like that. I'm not sure. I didn't, you Correct. know, again, I wasn't around. I didn't know the history of any of the extra tracks sitting around. But there was a drum solo from Eric Carr. Great. And then I'm plugging in my old Les Paul, and I'm doing riffs. And, and you know what? That was the best therapy for me after losing a family member to cancer within a year of him saying, I'm not, I'm not well. Less than a year. Okay? So it was really uh, tr traumatic. And then, of course, all eyes were on Eric Singer. The other guy's blonde. He definitely played right. He fit. You know, uh, 
do we do we make him the new member? Believe me, I didn't have a vote in that, but I I knew where it was headed. Eric Eric Singer would be right. I mean, you know, be honest and I knew that Eric Carr also prophetically once said you're going to replace me in the band I don't know why Eric Carr ever would say that but he did, but he did. okay and um, and the rest uh, now he's uh, been in the band longer than any drummer right of the band yeah you know I think in fact I think he's third as to past Gene and Paul I mean after Gene and Paul you know what I mean uh, third longest uh, third longest serving Gene. member yeah and yeah exactly and, and of course I've always felt that Eric uh, very much belongs. I think he's he's yeah. a great addition to the band now. But before we got to Eric, you mentioned Aisley mm-hmm. Dunsbar, and of course Kevin Valentine played. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I've always understood that there were five drummers that that tried out for the band for the Revenge slot. W- were you aware of five drummers trying out? Do you remember who they you know, are? You um, know, Ainsley always sticks out because he was the na- the guy with a name. Okay. Right. I know we went to one of the rehearsal studios because uh, I was there, and I know that in one afternoon we did jam with multiple drummers. And, and you, if you know the other names, I'd love to hear them because I can't remember, okay? Because we're talking sometime probably in 91, right? Yeah. So that's uh, a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, 26 yeah. years ago. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I know, but, I know. But, and but, it, and uh, I will tell you that was stressful because I'm like, oh, my God, we don't have a drummer. You know what I mean? Our drummer is too sick to be in the band. What are we going to do? Yet we're committed and we're really dialed into having Ezrin, having the budget, having having the songs. I saw, I heard the songs that were coming along. You know, Gene was dialing in things. I only had Tough Love as a contribution, but I still thought it was a great track. Okay. But the point is, you know, they even, yeah, Vinnie Vincent helped out with some songwriting because they realized he's always had a great talent for that, working with those guys. And then, of course, he was showing the... Uh, you know, the other door, you know, you know, uh, with those guys, because they couldn't work out their business arrangement regarding it. But what great tracks we had to record. So I knew we were really onto something. But yeah, the, we probably did have five drummers. So, you know, I just remember an afternoon where we listened to people. And of course, um, since since only Ainsley sort of draw, jumps out at you, because I, I don't remember the names either, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine they're just sort of local L.A. studio guys. There There weren't any big names from big bands that, that, that we remember, I guess, right? The only one, the only other one, and only he would be able to confirm it, was maybe like a, a maybe a Bobby Rondinelli type of guy right. could have been one of the guys. Because I know he always wanted to be in the band, but I can't remember if it was from that audition or even prior, you know, during, when before Eric, you get what I mean? But I can't remember. I really can't. That, though I, I kind of think that that could be another guy. Again, not not a huge name, but... For some reason, I, I, in some ways, he was like with that hair and everything, maybe even similar to Eric Carr, and that might have even been like a little odd to them. I don't know, but however it worked out, that's how it worked out, you know. And and Eric did the majority of the work on the record. Thank God we have Eric Carr's voice, and he appears in the video for God Gave Rock and Roll. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, Bob Ezrin, I, I do want to just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through this systematically, Bob. Um, his albums, you know, of course, Pink Floyd, Kiss, Alice Cooper, uh, great albums, very much revered. I have felt personally that Bob Ezrin makes solo records and has different bands play on them, uh, just in the sense that he's always sort of in control of the sounds and the this, and the, he gets involved in the writing and the orchestration. And mm-hmm. um, Is that how you, you felt, uh, too? I mean, do, do you see that in, in terms of Bob comes in and just sort of 
it becomes his project or was there because Gene and Paul obviously are Gene and Paul they're they're big in the industry was there some give and take or was it like no 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 you're going to do this you're going to sing that and it's my way look uh, I got to be honest with you right. I, I I actually feel um, one of the highlights of my career in my life was having an opportunity to work with Bob Ezrin okay for almost a year on this record and I will say I like to describe him as a mad professor. I will like to say that, was he in charge? Yes. Did he make it his record? No. He made the best Kiss album that Gene and Paul and I could contribute, and, 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 and a drummer named Eric, mostly Eric Singer, okay? And whatever it took, we redid basses. We changed keys. We, Bruce changed the key, you know, like, play it this way. You know, yes, I'd spend an afternoon with him carving out a solo, figuring it out note for note, and then we'd record it, I'd double it, okay? And then I would triple some parts, and then we'd take a break, and then he'd come back, and he'd listen to it. He goes, I hate it, erase it. And we'd start all over again, okay? That's wow. the mad professor guy, okay? Right. And yet, I could swear to you, and I know this quote, when we were mixing that record, I was listening to what we were getting, okay? Uh, I'm a perfectionist. A lot of people that are close to me know that. It was, that album's like 99.9% amazing. Okay. Right. And uh, I was thrilled, thrilled out of my mind that Gene and Paul were willing to um, work with him. I don't feel he did anything, and I highly would doubt Gene and Paul would ever say, I totally disagreed with his approach on this or this or this. Nope. I, I can't imagine that. I know that there's been stress with Nevison, there was stress with Toby, you, you know, and, uh, you know, guys like that. You know, I know that. Okay. I don't really think anything was, you know, like, so uh, so in Bob's control of a solo record the way you're describing it. I think he just elevates an artist to the highest level they can do. Okay, And he okay. certainly did it to me because he put the fear of God in me. Go home and practice to these tracks and give me something amazing. You know, and I started pulling out these crazy pedals and, and, and uh, every solo that I'm on, and we'll get to the one I'm not, but every solo I'm on, you know, I, is for the, you know, I'm, I'm ripping your head off, okay? You know what I mean? I'm playing, you know, as if my life depended on it, you know? And that's why those solos, when I redo them when I perform at a clinic or do them live, I take great pride in still being able to play them like I did 25 years ago, you know? And it's very exciting. The, the unholy and tough love and, and just crazy riffs, uh, you know, what I did in Heart of Chrome, you know, um, it, it's just something I'm really, really proud of. And I did play some bass on the record, too. Bob wasn't shy to hand me the bass on the, the ballad on Every Time I Look at You. and Tough Love, I played the bass. I forget what else right now. but Yeah, a bunch uh, of them. Bob, Bob and those guys were always about whatever makes the song work. You know that. So um, it, it's, it, it, it's a terrific record. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no filler there. Well, listen, I've, when people ask me what my top three Kiss records are, uh, I always say um, Creatures of the Night, Revenge, and, I, and the very, very first Kiss album, Kiss Kiss, because you look mm -hmm. at Kiss Kiss and, you know, eight of the songs are still in the set list. Oh, today, yeah, so. yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, <laughs> right? I'm used to the live versions more than the studio one, but that True. album was iconic, of course. It had to be. Yeah, it put them on the map, yeah. and so, so yeah, no, I, I absolutely love revenge. Now, I'm trying again, going systematically through this. I know a lot of these mm -hmm. stories, and people that, that are listening may not. So, mm -hmm. uh, Vinnie Vincent comes back and writes with you. 
what was your connection, if any? Did, did he was he in a room with you guys? Did he just sort of send something in through a fax? What, um, yeah, I got great stories with that. But okay. really, what it comes down to one time, I remember um, I saw him like kind of at Gene's, and he was getting ready to leave, and you know he made sure Gene knew there was cookies that he brought for Gene, you know, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Now, what song they were working on or what they were trying to develop, I have no idea. I didn't hear anything. Okay. I know there's been stories about him being in the studio. I never saw him in the studio. Okay. Could he have been in a demo studio with Gene at one point? Absolutely. I never saw him in the studio. Okay. When he worked with uh, Ezrin and Paul and they only worked together, uh, I was not there. I don't know. I'm sure that was at Paul's house. Okay. I would, I would imagine, you know, and what he contributed was great, but there's lots of, you know, one point I remember, and it was very annoying to me to think that somehow Vinny got quoted saying like, like he was doing the solo on Unholy. And I'm like, uh, excuse right. me. You know what I mean? I, I, well, I, I was going to ask you about there, that because you know? the, the, the quote yeah. or the, the, the story out there is mm-hmm. the opening sort of scratchy part on Unholy. That absolutely could be him. Okay. I didn't do them. And I think they came right from the demo that Gene did. Okay. I, I don't even know how they, uh, I didn't care if Gene did it. And I remember asking Gene who played that. He said, I did. No, he might've done that because he didn't want to hurt my feelings to think Vinnie Vincent. Now, would you call that a solo? Okay, the solo is the no. you know the, the body of the middle of the song that right. takes off to another level, and the, the lead guitar player is taking out. Is that a creepy, amazing sound effect in the intro? Absolutely. Is it Vinnie Vincent? It could be. I don't care. But again, I think the story got a little weird that he was you know he played the lead guitar, and I remember the first time I heard it, and I don't remember how I was told that. I was like, uh, you know, I just. I kind of hit the roof. You know, I felt really like raped, if you get what I mean. So whatever. Yeah. Like you're, like somebody's yeah. taking credit for your thing. No, well, of course, of course. Uh, it's interesting though, that, that he, you know, after everything that went on with lick it up and, and all that stuff mm-hmm. and that they would call him back and give him a second chance. It, it I totally does... understood it because it was a songwriter callback. Okay. Right. If it wasn't for Vinny, lick it up put them back on the map and and he had a big part of lick it up they were never that excited about necessarily his playing or necessarily certainly his team work if you get what i mean he never wanted to sign the contract blah 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 okay but the point is they knew he was talented those guys are smart enough businessmen gene and paul to know when you know like if if and who knows who made him you know the first uh you know reconnection you know right. we don't even know if it was Vinny or if it was ezra saying like you know what about Vinny? you guys wrote some hits with him yeah i, I don't know I don't know that, but I do know what he contributed to the album was uh, valuable to the record. So I always give credit where credit's due, regardless of, uh, you know, what he did or didn't play on Unholy and us discussing it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and and it's funny because over the years I've I've always said, you know, I don't think Vinny belonged in Kiss, and people always say, oh, he's very talented. And it's like, well, yeah, yes, I get that. But I've always likened it to, well, you wouldn't want you know, Neil Pert to play drums and kiss because Neil's a great guy, right. but it just wouldn't fit. And yeah. Vinny's a great talent, great songwriter. You cannot deny that. But I just don't think live it made sense to have, you know, a million notes going over these very sort of simple kiss songs. It just, it didn't work yeah. for me. But Well, I, you know, you without know, spending talent. any time on Vinny really, but knowing again, the Revenge Connection was the terrific songwriting, okay, that he could contribute to, which is valuable. Um, you know, the live stuff or anything else, you know, you know, it has nothing to do with revenge, but, but you're making a really good point. And I do know that they always, 
they were it, it wasn't easy to fill Ace's shoes at the time, and and they just went with whatever you know, and that and they just stuck with Vinny because he wrote songs, and you know I don't know how they it was it was hard for them. Look at their next choice, Mark St. John. That was pretty awkward too, you know. But we can talk about the Kiss guitar player, you know, mantle changing, you know, for for days. Okay. Yeah, and and I think part of Mark St. John and Vinny was also just market forces. I mean, you had Randy Rhodes running around. You yeah. had all these, you know, Eddie Van Halen was, you know, Kiss looks and says, okay, we need to be in this, in this ballpark. Yeah. No, those were my marching orders when yeah. Paul said, you get, you know, we want you to be the guitarist. We sent Mark home. We want you to be really competitive. You know what's out there now. And we want you to play in every, in all styles. And I said, absolutely. You know what I mean? So in other words, you know, be modern, be have a foot in the past, you know. So, and I felt like I had a good balance of that. Um, and yeah, I do uh, feel that that uh, Mark was a, a very talented player, but he was way too fusion, you know, fancy yeah. with the guitar to, to fit Kiss. And uh, oh yeah, and and Vinny got, probably could play anything, but he it would, they didn't put a leash on him, if you get what I mean. Oh yeah. So and, I mean, it's and, like so having Ingve Momstein in the band. Yes, Ingve's yes, exactly. great, but you it just it, it right. you know. Um, Okay, so let's just talk about that in terms of, of guitarists in you. Because for me, as a, as a fan back then, I always appreciated what you did on Crazy Nights. And I, but Revenge is the one where, in my head, I went, ah, this is the next, you know, this is the guy. You know, Bruce mm-hmm. is the Kiss guitarist. And, and because we had gone from Vinny to Mark to you, it, it, we were sort of in this, like, while well, we're changing, you know, it was almost like changing slippers or changing shoes. And... But Revenge mm-hmm. is the one that said, yeah, no, you know what? The, the, Bruce is the guy. This, this is, did you get that sense that this is the one where you went, okay, I, I've made my mark now. Fans know that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's now Ace and Bruce. It's not Ace, Ace, Ace. And, oh, he's right, not. right, right. Well, look, you know, I felt like I hit some highlights on the other records, but here's a whole record where, you know, I felt like I made a, a very, very large footprint on it, you know. I mean, yeah, Carnival Souls was even more with all the co-writes, but that was a whole other animal, and that, that band didn't even exist by the time it came out, as you know. But um, I'm very proud of Revenge, and when I'm asked, what's your favorite Kiss album, that, uh, you know, I always have to say Revenge, you know, because I just, I really believed in the songs and the performances, and the attitude was so so honest and, and hungry. We were really, what a title, too, Revenge, you know. That, you know, and that was specific to... The fact that, uh, you know, how many times do people write off Kiss? You know what I mean? And that happened throughout the non-makeup era, of course. You know? Yeah, every, every six months, right? I mean, Poison is the biggest yeah. thing. Kiss doesn't exist. Hey, Bon Jovi is right. the biggest thing. Kiss yep. doesn't exist. Yep. All the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then one last guitarist, the current Kiss guitarist, uh, Tommy Thayer, is credited with backing vocals, or through the years, stories have come mm-hmm. out that he's had backing vocals. Um what was Tommy's association? I mean, was it just that he come in and do backing vocals? Was he there helping you out with your gear? Did he? Did, I mean, no. I, I actually, well, at the time, uh, Tommy was doing a lot of stuff for Gene, like archiving things. They trusted him, you know. Right. In, in a in a group like Kiss, you know, you don't want, you know, a wolf in the uh, in in the the hens, whatever that expression is. You know what I'm talking wolf about? Wolf in the hen house. Uh, yeah, there you go. Wolf in the hen house. And and Tommy was always a real stand up guy and, and very smart and very uh i think he was helping put the history thing together with gene as a book and uh archiving things and constantly around and and of course you know he was involved gene was involved with you know some things with him songwriting and 
I think you really like Black and Blue, even though I think they got their own record deal. That had I don't think that necessarily had anything to do with Gene, but you get what I mean. So if if um, if they turned to him and and you know through the years he had some co-writes, as you know, uh, a Hot in the Shade as well. You know, so he he very well. I don't remember him in the studio. It doesn't mean he didn't sing backgrounds. You know. Uh, but he was like 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 a you know one of those people very close to the circle, close circle of Kiss, that um, was was respected, you know, and 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 was helpful. So, whatever it took, um, sure they uh, you know enjoyed having him nearby. Yeah, no, he's he's a good talent. So um, mm-hmm. every time I look at you, and and we've had this discussion many times, uh, Dick Wagner, who of course was with Lou Reed and Alice Cooper, welcome to my nightmare. Uh, by the way, one of my favorite albums ever, mm-hmm. um, was in the studio next door, and something, somehow, Bob Rezern is just not connecting with the solo you're doing for every time I look at you and says, okay, Dick, come on in. Um, first of all, when you heard about that, what what was your reaction? Were you like, hey, give me another chance? Or you're like, oh, okay, well. Hey. No, I mean, you know, the story, I mean, you're close with what okay. I recall. Okay. But what happened was... Um, I remember it was over um, like a holiday weekend, like in July is when they were, um, they kept working. There was a very important piece of the story that, that a lot of people probably aren't aware of, but at the time they knew they were working on a really great record and they were, you know, the single of rock and God gave rock and roll for the movie was actually a different label, but we were able to use it on the Mercury release. Okay. But, they were, I believe it was like maybe A&M or something, which was considered back then maybe even a bigger, better label. Or sometimes when you do something attractive for another label, uh, they may, you know, if they score you somehow, they will treat you better, if you get where I'm going with that. And what I remembered happening was I hadn't yet actually done anything solo-wise for that song, because that song needed a really special treatment. I don't know what I would have come up with, but the point was, I took some days off for the July 4th holiday. Dick Wagner was working there. They wanted to present that song to the A&M people, okay, to entice them to say, we love this, we love KISS, we want KISS, and try to do some sort of label maneuver, okay, which you've heard of things like that. Yeah, of course. It's it's par for course. It's not... uh... Right. Right, right, that's, 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 and that's, and there was a connection. Right. How did they know the A and M people? Because of the the, the, the Bill, uh, and Bill and Ted's movie right. and the soundtrack. Okay, and that guy went after Kiss for the song. You see what I mean? That ended the movie. Uh, so anyway, I come back from my holiday, and they tell me, uh, "Oh, by the way, you got to hear this solo." You know that Dick Wagner did. Now Dick's one of my guitar heroes. Okay, I'm not going to deny this. My brother did a tour with Alice Cooper with him. I'm well aware of his work with Alice Cooper, well aware of him. I even knew his solo record. My brother recorded, ironically enough, a, a Mark Farner album that Dick Wagner produced. And my brother was the other guitarist, okay, to be involved with Mark Farner. How ironic is that, of course? You know? well, of course, given, uh, given you being with yeah, like yeah. Grand Funk. Yeah, exactly, right. with Grand Funk. But the point is, so I hear the solo, and I know it's, I know it's amazing, and I'm still upset about it, of course, because I'm like, wait, I'm the good guitarist, you know, I'm finally, you know, I'm really, you get what I mean? And they, they indulged me. They said like, all right, well, take a stab at it, see what you can come up with. And it was like really stupid, okay, of me to even try, okay? Um, and, I, and it, you know, I'm not telling you I'm one of the big ego guys, I'm not, but the point is I was just hurt that they, you know, I didn't have the opportunity, but let's face it, what he did was magic for the song 
Okay. In fact, he played one of my guitars that was there. My uh, I have a custom shop Explorer uh, from Gibson from '92. That's Karina that he did it on. Same guitar that starts Domino, actually. Uh, and that's the one he used. Paul told me that. And uh, and then I learned it very, very, very note for note to do on Unplug the best I could. In fact, I just recently found. I digitized a lot of the stuff that Bob gave me to work on. I found the solo, you know what I mean? In other words, Dick's solo, I kind of like isolated, you know what I mean? So I'd be able to learn it so that if we did the song live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it came in damn helpful, you know, for Unplugged, you know what I mean? So fans didn't know. I asked them, look, do me a favor. You know, I know, you know, there's always ghost guitars on Kiss albums. You know, I'd appreciate it if you, you didn't tell anybody, you know. So it took many, many years until it got out there. Um, I don't mind that it's out there now. Um, like I said, he's one of my heroes, and sadly we lost him a few years back. But uh, that's always incredible. And if I was going to be replaced by somebody, thank God it was a Dick Wagner and you know, uh, and, and not someone else, that's all. And I got it. He was there. Ezrin worked with him. The guy's a legend on the guitar. You know, he played, you know it's him doing... Uh, that Aerosmith hit that everyone thinks is Joe Perry, and it's and it's a train kept a rolling. Train kept a rolling. Him and, yeah, that's, that's and him and Steve record. Hunter. Yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, so you get what I mean, you know. And uh, and of uh, course, uh, Kiss fans don't forget he played on Destroyer too. So yes, he, yes, you know, um, yeah. the acoustic yeah. stuff on Beth and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and 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 I do have to say that about being Dick Wagner. Had it just been some hotshot. New York or, or L.A. kid, it would have been like, That would have been way worse. Absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. would have been like, dudes, whoa. whoa. Yep. Uh, but and, Dick you know, Wagner. years later, they, there was a gig up in um, Traverse City, Michigan, where it was Grand Funk gig, and, and Dick was on the bill. And I got to see him, and it was great. He was playing with his son. It was a few years before he passed away, of course, but it was great. I even had a BK3 with me to give it to him because I was so excited to see him. You know, and I, yeah. I only knew of him. I never, you know, remembered really... I might have met him one other time, but I didn't know him like my brother did, you know, and, and my brother was close with him for a while. So that was uh, quite, quite uh, interesting to see him again. So. It really was. So, yeah, that's that's the truth. And that's what happened. And I now I, I mean, I feel it every time. Like when I rehearsed the song with Lisa to perform it, I realized I said, all right, here we go with that amazing Dick Wagner. solo. I didn't come up with it. But, man. I, I could feel it. I, I interpret some of it. I'm not telling you I play it uh, 100% correct, but I play it close enough, you know, to uh, to really enjoy the uh, the fact that someone like that did the, did the solo on that song. It's a brilliant song too. Right, really. and you did nail it on mm-hmm. Unplugged. So we have to Thanks. be we have yeah. to be fair about that. You did nail it yep. there. And yep. uh, uh, Dick years later, uh, and I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, but he sent me a version of Every Time I Look at You where he uh, does the vocals and everything, which is... Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. I might have heard that. I might have known about that. Yeah. I might have. If, well, I That's might have cool. told you. If not, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's, it's very haunting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. I think I, I think I do know about that. But yeah, go ahead and send it to me. I'd love yep. to hear that. Uh, a few, few more minutes if you have. I hope you mm-hmm. don't mind. Sure. Um, the one song that everybody has talked about, uh, you know, it's, it's become mythical in the Kiss world, is Do You Want to Touch Me Now, written by Dave <laughs> Snake Sabo, and of course, I guess Paul it was. Uh, Dave now, of mm-hmm. course, works at, at McGee Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the song that got left off. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that one. Uh, was it ever finished in, in a full form? Is it sort of just a scratch demo? Is is it, no, 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 you know, it, it didn't fit? It, it, 
What I have a very, very completed version of the entire song, but no vocals. Damn. Um, <laughs> Damn it. All the guitars are done. I don't think there's a lead on it, but I have this tremendously powerful track. I gave it to Tommy when they were doing the box set because I had the, the, the dad of it. It obviously is in Kiss Archives somewhere in, in whatever they kept the multi-tracks on, you know what I mean? Because back then we were still using tape, okay? But I have an, uh, it, it, it's an amazing track. There was something about the title, melody, following the way the choruses was that just didn't turn Ezra and Paul on enough to say, okay, well, this is the best we, idea we have for it. Let's just do it, okay? Do you get what I mean? Oh, yeah, I actually think if they recorded what they had it would be a great track okay but there was something missing to them and it was a really frustrating thing for especially eric singer and i because we thought it was a great track um you know it wasn't a gene song so i'm not even sure what gene thought or didn't think okay to be quite honest but eric and i like eric shines on it there's these great tribal cream drum like things on it all my guitars are killer you know, big rhythm guitars, and, 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 and the riff is great. It's a great track, and it's very frustrating. I was very surprised they didn't go with it with that box set. Now, never say never. I'm sure Tommy has it, and it's still safe with me, and maybe there'll be another box set down the line, you know what I mean? But what a song, and I think they could have shared it as an instrumental, to be honest with you, okay? But it was never Paul. I have no version of Paul singing it or even Scratch singing it. You get what I mean? But I do know what he was trying to do with it, okay? And it irks me to this day that it wasn't done. I mean, look what happened to My Sword and Stone. Didn't wind up on Crazy Nights, but all right. But then other people covered it. You see what I mean? So it had some life. Yeah, it's know, actually but, funny because I, I have a Loverboy CD in front of yeah, me. Right, yeah, really, yeah. Literally right on, on the counter here where Sword and Stone is on it and right. um, uh, covered mm -hmm. by Paul Dean, of course. Right. Uh, that is a great song. That It... it it, well, it, Neverson didn't have ears for it. He didn't think it belonged on the record. So, well, I'll, I'll give crying. him this: it yeah. probably didn't belong on Crazy Nights because it's a little too—I don't want to say metal, but it's you know—it's more like you know, in your face kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I get it. Recut on Revenge, for example, or even on, on yeah. Creatures—not uh, Creatures, uh, 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 Carnival. It wasn't. Yeah, I, it wasn't easy for me to do. Like, can we revisit this? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, you know, Gene likes to do that, and. Sometimes for good or bad, you know. I mean, I, I remember some song that Gene resurrected. Paul didn't know it was something that was already covered by other people, and here we are cutting it. But it was already like we were too far into it, you know. What I mean, to stop it, you get what I mean. So, yep. but anyway, do you want to touch me now? Belongs. Uh, the, uh, I, I would love them to share it, but but it's up to them. You know, it's not it's not uh, it's not mine to share. You know, it belongs to Kiss. Corporation, Kiss Inc. No, but it, Kiss you know, Inc. you know, on the 25th anniversary, it, it it would have been nice to have some kind of deluxe release, or you know, have a live show put in with anyway. But uh, no, and, Kiss fans, and, you know, Kiss fans are never like satisfied. Where Gene said like right. they, they will celebrate revenge in the future. Though maybe we'll celebrate Carnival Souls. Maybe we'll. I, I don't. I've heard him say these things, but let's see. I I, I welcome it. You know that. They got my support, you know, you know way more than 100%, you know what I mean? I so we'll, we'll see. And I, I could just tell you, I know how many Revenge albums I've signed, and uh, people love that album. 
Yeah. So, so, so let's start wrapping up because, because we said mm-hmm. half an hour. We're getting, we're getting to mm-hmm. almost an hour. Um, of course, it's just, Kiss. Just quick. Yeah, of course. And fans are going to listen to every minute because it's Kiss. Um, yeah. The Revenge Tour. To me, I saw, you know, I saw the Lick It Up tour, I saw Creatures of the Night, I saw Dynasty, and everything since, you know, Sonic Boom and all that. But that Revenge tour just stands out as being exceptional. Musically, the band encompassed the entire career. I mean, they, they, they had, he went from Parasite to, to Take It Off, to mm-hmm. um, Eric with the double, ba- you know, it, it just, yep. it, it just was a fantastic moment. Ticket-wise, maybe could have done better, but who cares? Musically, um, what was it like for you on that tour? Because you know, on on Crazy Nights, you were playing some of the the, the glossier stuff for the, the you know the marketplace, and mm-hmm. but this one it was down and dirty. What was that tour like? No, I, I I really think that we complemented what we accomplished on Revenge, and then made it even broader uh, to this tough look, and the 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 staging was you know like kind of you know. The, New York, you know, being kind of destroyed and, 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 you know, there, there was an edge to it. There was a rock and roll thing. There was the Terminator, uh, Statue of Liberty turning into, uh, you know, Terminator, uh, given the finger or something. I, I, it was a fun, cliche, heavy, edgy and real. Okay. Uh, I loved, uh, you know, the whole vibe of it, you know, uh, and the set list was amazing. And I think we all, played great yeah some women got upset with take it off and bringing out the strippers and that was just a little silly indulgence but i was you know at the time you know married so of course i had to play the guitar and i backed up you know what i mean but but uh it it was very uh i think the band was really really in its prime you know there's no doubt yeah they, they but that that bore that is that gave birth to alive three of course okay right and, and and by the way, Alive Three doesn't get enough credit. Everybody says, "Oh, Alive, the first album was great," and no one Alive Two, but Alive Three is is just a fantastic um, album. And well, I think it did capture what you were talking about. You yeah. know, it could, even though Parasite's not on, but for watching you to be on it, deuced the way I would have played it. You, you get what I mean? You know, uh, I I always use it as a basis for the gigs that I do when I do my my solo gigs as Bruce. Okay, and and have a band. You know what the marching orders to the band is. Okay, we're going to look at a live th- three, and we'll round it out with other songs. You know, Tears of Falling's not on it, but the point is, that is our you know kind of like guideline. Okay, because that I felt like showcased uh, what what non makeup kiss was the best. Yeah. So and and so let, let's finish on these two things. Um... Uh, George Tutko was the engineer on the album. He, of course, did stuff with uh, mm-hmm. with Kiss and Lita Ford and Duran Duran. Uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Just any quick thoughts on on George? I just know that you know, like I I believe he was someone that Ezrin really respected to get, especially the big drum sounds, or or get us started on the album. You know, with the with the with the approach sonically. And I didn't know much about him, and I just know that. Uh, it was Edwin's choice and uh, the right choice, you know. But, yeah. And I didn't, I did, but I didn't really uh, have any memories of him other than everybody was pleased with what was getting uh, recorded in the direction to start with. And then after that, it was really Edwin could do guitars, you know. We didn't need uh, fancy engineers and stuff, you know. He yeah. really does know how to do that. Yeah, and George was George was great. Um, <laughs> And then we'll finish on this. You know, there's a lot of a lot made in in Kiss fan world about the Kiss Revenge era, the Kiss Revenge era. 
great band, the best, but it only lasted three years. Looking back on it, is there... I mean, the, the reunion tour was going to happen, it was going to happen, but is, is there some disappointment that the band didn't get to do more? Because there really was... It really was a band again, the, the, you know, the four yeah. guys. Um, <laughs> well, well, look, it, it ran right into the 800-pound gorilla, and that started with the catalyst of the Unplugged, okay, because... Now we're doing convention tours because the Revenge tour really didn't do as well as it should have, and neither did Revenge. I mean, the fact that Revenge is now platinum is, is obscene, okay, uh, quite honestly. Agreed. Um, so the point is um, we do convention tours, which, which shows a bit of the past. I think Gene and Paul recognize that people were clamoring for makeup stuff too, but we'll play like a broad songs. We'll meet them. You know, it was a novel, very interesting idea. And Ooh, a hundred dollars. You know, it sounded like a lot of money at the time. Now you look at it, it's like, you know, chump change. But, it's true, I mean. but it's true though, because I remember you yep. came to the Chateau Champlain in Montreal mm -hmm. and it was a mm hundred -hmm. bucks. And I said, well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to go because it's a hundred right. bucks. And then yeah, exactly. it was literally like, 48 hours before and i just went oh the hell with that i i'm gonna hate myself right. if i don't go. And, it, and it was an amazing experience for <laughs> yeah, everybody absolutely went, you know, absolutely yeah. uh, and i would have regretted it up until now that i had not gone yep. but i went yeah. and it was fantastic that yep. that yeah that but you gotta remember then then of course it got it, it made it to the people at mtv that were fans you know um that coletti guy uh realized uh wow this is cool but if you want to do Kiss Unplugged, um, we got to make it bigger, you know, and then the next thing I know, it turns into the Ace and Peter thing. So what I'm saying is, I think if there wasn't an MTV, I think if there wasn't a convention tour, how I'm not saying a reunion would never have happened, but I don't know what what steps would have made it happen. You see, no, as, I agree. as as healthy as this, because think about it, you know, Gene and Paul had a working, functional band okay eric and i they know they had the right soldiers in the in the in, in the, the you know the troop but while well, in the kiss army the, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah now you have this opportunity though where all of a sudden well to get on mtv which was still a very important thing for a band you know we weren't you know exactly the flavor of the month but to get on mtv would be really a score so the next thing you know you know they like if you can get ace and peter back great Okay, so then they start negotiating that, and their attitude is like they've been clamoring to get back in the band forever. You see what I mean? During my era, so there you go. There's a perfect storm that that caused, um, you know, the reunion to happen. And, but, Nothing I could do, and and it was very frustrating because it was at a certain musical and and and, and certainly a, a stylistic Nexus. peak for the band, right? And it just slammed right into a wall, you know. But but we can also argue, you know, that if it hadn't had the reunion, maybe Kiss 2017 wouldn't exist because Revenge, as you said, uh, I, I, I don't doubt that. Yeah, I, I you know, look, it all happened the way it was supposed to happen, and I knew the writing was on the wall as much as they said we're just going to do this for a year, you know, and then they sell out Tiger Stadium in Detroit. It's like that's it, it's done. But they paid me for a year, and I was supportive of it, you know. But I didn't have a gig anymore, you know. What I mean, I was, you know gone because this is a big model it's like star wars coming back that's what happened it, it would though be nice before that they before they wrap it all up that there is a moment for you and eric to just be on even if it's part of a regular kiss show with tommy and eric that come out for two songs or 
I've heard it from a lot of fans. I, you know, until Gene and Paul say like, "Let's do this," you know what I mean? Right. It's all no. just something to talk about. I know, know, I know. And it's, look, my relationship's great with them, so it's nothing like that. When they recognize that that that, that something like that has value. Uh, or they'd like to experience it, then it will happen, you know, and I'm not, um, I, I don't take it personal that it hasn't happened yet, you know, but I know that I know the respect they've always shown me and they know the respect that I have for them, you know, so it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, they don't, it just you know, seems spend like a lot of attention on my era, but I understand why it is a very different era than what they're, what they currently look like and what they, what they celebrate and what right. they do. Right, you know, it's, and it's, it's fair homage to the makeup thing, you know. But but when but they do the get, Kiss cruise, it, it just seems to me that like the Saturday night could be the Kiss non makeup part of the cruise. I mean, you know, it, it's anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it's still. I, nice. I like to say I don't rule out anything, but until I until I know really that something's real, like I don't like to theorize anything. You <laughs> you, you get that, you right. know. Of I and, but uh, you know, and you made a really valid point that that I wouldn't always think of that. That you're right. Well, without the reunion tour, well, maybe, you know, every, this is remarkable that like now they're touring in like, you know, Europe and I, I'll get, I get these emails and things from fans over there that, that, that they get Kiss crazy, right? Because Kiss is there, but they don't forget about me. There was just this band showing me we're performing crazy nights and we're wearing Bruce Kulik t-shirts from Finland. You see what I mean? And I'm like, well, if Kiss didn't go there, would that really motivate them to do that? You well, no, get what I mean? Not. Yeah, of course. I mean, right. So. And then the fans that I meet at expos and things that are, they weren't born when I was in the band. You know what I mean? They're 16. They weren't even anywhere near being conceived yet. Okay. But they're there and they're shaking to meet me because they know me from the Kiss era and they turned on to Kiss. And yeah. And Kiss I, is current, you know, you know, I think if, if we had gone from revenge, no unplugged right into Carnival of Souls, given the marketplace, not, not the players, yeah. not the band. Who knows? Yeah. It it might have fizzled by then, and so I, I, I have no idea what would have happened. But yeah, that. so so yeah. it is what it is. I mean, you you've got a right. great gig with Grand Funk Railroad. It's been what fourteen years, fifteen years now. It's been seventeen. Seventeen, <laughs> Jesus. But who's counting? <laughs> well, yeah. listen, I'm amazed that Revenge is twenty five. So you, I know, I know. Two, you I joined know. in two thousand. Wow, boy. Yep. It just means I'm getting really old. Oh, stop it! Okay, <laughs> uh, All right, and this interview is getting really long. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, so let's 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 finish this. Then, uh, mm-hmm. if I could show you uh, Lisa Lane Kulik, uh, it is on yep. Spotify, iTunes, and uh, YouTube there we go. also. Yep, Every, oh, all yeah. all digital streaming mediums in the, that your country allows. You know, okay. I had someone write, "I'm in Holland. I cannot get anything." I'm like, "Well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what it's like to live there. You know, <laughs> what am I supposed to say? I signed up with, when you put it on TuneCore. It, you know, it's right. supposed to go everywhere, but what what your country does with it, I I, I don't know what to say." Well, it is yeah. on Spotify in Canada. I can, mm-hmm. I can guarantee it. Cause I'm that wondering. I know. Yes, yes, yes. yes but there yes. you go. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let's let's uh, let's get on to other things in the day here. Uh, thank you for your time, as always. Always a pleasure. No problem, Mitch. I I, I enjoy talking my era with you and theorizing. You're you're one of the uh, uh, people that certainly uh, has, has always had a, a, a very high passion for Kiss, and I respect that. So there you go. I do, and of course, Kulik dot net is where everybody should go. That is still my website, correct. even though one day it's going to change to BruceKulik.com because someone in Norway was so kind to give it to me. 
there you go. So, but they love me so much. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I just haven't had a time to redesign, and I'm planning on that sometime this year. But I'm too busy gigging, which is a good thing, too. Okay. Which is a good thing. And, of course, yes, yes. Uh, there is your entire uh, Crazy Night stories and Revenge stories. You, you did a whole mm-hmm. series of those back a few yep. years ago. They're still I held back on a few because I want to save it for down the line. I'd love to put out a book and include all these you know, all my retrospective uh, yep. insight, you know, because I think I have some interesting, I was there, you know what I mean? So, yeah, and I think that would fun. be a, a great seller. Yeah. Uh, as we well, say, thanks and congratulations on your show, by the way. Yes, so, uh, yes, uh, yes on the Jericho Network. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. There you go. There you go. And uh, we'll, do this, uh, we'll do this again soon. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks a lot, Mitch. And Cheers. You keep in touch. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right. Bye-bye now. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaVaughn. Mitch LaVaughn. This week on All of the Above with Norman Lear, Deep Star Julia Louis-Dreyfus sits down with Norman and Paul. Well, you know, there wasn't a script when I was first talking to HBO about it. There wasn't a concept. And my, my agent had said to me, listen, they're developing this thing at HBO about an unhappy vice president, an unhappy female vice president. And I thought to myself, well, I got to get in on this action because mm-hmm. it's gold. And it's so amazing that nobody's done it before. Listen today on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on PodcastOne.com. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back, and a big thank you to Bruce Kulik, formerly of KISS, currently in Grand Funk Railroad, for sharing those incredible stories of revenge on its 25th anniversary. But let us now turn our attention over to the Black Star writers and Thin Lizzy guitarist Scott Gorham. The new album is Heavy Fire. I absolutely, absolutely love it. I've said that probably a hundred times this episode, but... I do, and uh, so should you, quite frankly. Uh, do, do yourself a favor and check out Heavy Fire by Black Star Riders. The band recently announced a drummer change with former Black Label Society drummer Chad Zaliga, I guess is how you say it. It's S-Z-E-L-I-G-A, so Zaliga, um, joining the band. Now, the interview with Scott was done just after Jimmy DeGrasso left the band to join Rat and just before Chad was announced, so... Uh, at the end, we discussed the drummer situation, uh, though it has now been resolved. But uh, there you go. So without further ado, here is one of my favorite guitarists from one of my favorite new bands, the Black Star Riders, the one, the only, Scott Gorm. We are speaking with guitarist Scott Gorm of Black Star Riders, and of course, formerly of Thin Lizzy. No, actually, not formerly of Thin Lizzy. You're still in Thin Lizzy, but <laughs> Black Star Riders is what we're talking about now. This is the third album, and I have to say, I'm a fan of the band. Uh, forget the Thank media you. stuff and you got a free copy. No, no, no. I buy my copies. I buy the <laughs> Japanese versions. And the band is just absolutely brilliant. And I do have to say, and let's, let's start with the, the name first, because, you know, you were touring as Thin Lizzy, and I just mentioned to you before we got started that I saw you last opening for Judas Priest in 2011. Right. and. There was such an energy and such a vibe, and it would have just been wasted to not make a new album. But, of course, calling it Thin Lizzy... <sighs> was not right. Right. So, so let's talk to me about that decision. Was it a hard decision at all to make, or was it like, no, it's just not right? Well, let's... you know, it, it, it wasn't, and thank you for you know, you know, liking the uh, album so much. Thank you so much. Uh, it was not a hard decision for me. In fact... Uh, I had been trying to really kind of figure out a way not to do 
uh, an album uh, under the name Thin Lizzy. Uh, but, you know, my whole thing is uh, every single Thin Lizzy album I ever did was with Phil sitting right in the front there, writing all the lyrics. Uh, he was such a good friend of mine. And to now all of a sudden uh, do an album under that name without my my buddy Phil, you know, I... But the problem is, you know, we had we got new management in, and I'd been dodging the uh, that's you know a whole new album issue for quite a number of years. But uh, when he came in, or they came in, uh, it was pretty much they needed to get a handle on something and to just keep touring uh, around the world with you know no new material it seemed kind of uh, uh, non-productive. If I could put it put it that way, right? Uh, so he was really pushing in a big way to get the uh, get a new album out there. And now I'm feeling like, uh, what am I going to do now? You know, if I if I say no to the album, then you know the new management's gone. If I say yes, uh, I'm just alienating you know 50 percent of the uh, uh, Thin Lizzy audience out there. So I'm stuck in a really hard place. But finally, I I just got to the point where I just. Uh, I, I'm just not going to do it. And I dragged Damon and Ricky to the side. I said, listen, guys, this is how I'm feeling. And <clears throat> to be quite honest, there was, I could see there was a huge, huge relief on both their faces. Cause now, you know, they, you know, they don't have to come up to, uh, you know, I guess thin Lizzy standards for, I mean, standards by other people's standards is what I mean. Uh, so there, there was a huge relief. Uh, obviously the, the management, uh, kind of resisted the idea, but, uh, you know, he was the one that actually said, well, okay, uh, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to pretty much start all over again. We'll just find a new name uh, and, you know, do this album under under the new name, and, and that was kind of it. So, so talk to me about sort of rebranding and restarting over, because, you know, as you get older in the career, and, and it's easy, you did it last summer, you got Tom Hamilton in, and you, and you went off and mm-hmm. did some shows. It's easy. Tell right. me about the struggles about getting a new brand because it is a band, but it's also the brand. Uh, yeah. What was that it, like? It, it's tough. I I uh, I've got to admit it. It's in fact it's a little harder than I uh, remembered it being. You know, back in the day when we were just starting out with the, you know the whole Lizzie thing, uh, and I think that's really down to the fact that you know certain uh, revenues have been cut cut off from all rock bands, as in. Uh, nobody is, you know, selling albums really anymore. So you can't really kind of use that that revenue to, you know, put put back into the band or advertising or whatever. So it's tough to uh, uh, get out there and you're you're constantly talking about it. And in the beginning, a lot of people didn't know who we were, you know, and all they wanted to do was talk about Thin Lizzy. So I had to kind of stop that and say, you know, we're here. We're exclusively doing Black Star Writers. We're not doing Thin Lizzy at this point, right? So, it, it's it's hard, you know. I mean, and you've got us. You you're not headlining. You're uh, you're supporting everywhere you can go. So, if you've got uh, the cojones to stay out there and do it, you know, you can uh, you can you can still do it. So, uh, but it is tough. But it's fun at the same time. It's why it's why I do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, and. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit about Thin Lizzy too at the at the end here, because sure. the last album that you did with them goes back to Thunder and Lightning in '83. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also did the Twenty One Gun stuff. 
But in yeah. terms of writing for Black Star writers, and the, was there that frustration of, listen, I haven't done an album since 2002, Demolition with 21 Guns. I haven't done anything since 1983. As a songwriter, what, mm. were, were you still writing, or, to, or had you sort of just lost the, the urge to write, or do you have like a No, vault? no, I, I still had uh, you know, quite, quite a few ideas. Uh, but now it's trying to fit these ideas in with, with another uh, group of guys with uh, with a little bit different style and maybe a different you know path that uh, that you know people want to take. So obviously uh, everything does get used because you know Ricky sings in a certain way. Uh, you know people want to hear guitars this way. I wasn't as soon as I got out of Thin Lizzy you know proper the first time. I kind of. I'll admit I kind of dumped the uh, the signature uh, harmony guitar thing and took it in another direction, uh, you know. But the boys wanted to you know keep up that you know Thin Lizzy tradition, so uh, I had to kind of wrap my head around that one more time, you know. And I I enjoy it. I enjoy doing it. It's just that I figured that I had done that for so many albums and for so many years. I needed to take a different path. So you know, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, adjustment that, that that goes on in the whole writing field. You know, you have to feel each other out, see how everybody's feeling, see what you know. You throw them an idea if it uh, if it sticks, great. If it doesn't, you know, you're trying to figure out why, or maybe there's there's reasons, obvious reasons that it that it doesn't uh, uh, work. You know, so uh, so yeah. I mean, you know, ri- ri- I have been you know writing, uh, but you know, it's a little tough. I, I'm used to writing with a partner like I did with, uh, you know, Phil and Thin Lizzy and Life Johansson in uh, 21 Guns. So I just sit there and re- record these bits that I've written, and uh, we just go from there. And, and just just in passing, uh, because 21 Guns was really it was a really great band. Is that thank you? I, I yeah. love that band. Yeah. You know, I just it was kind of a, uh, the right band in the wrong time. I think is what what we can actually say. So, uh, a bit of bad timing there, but I, I love that uh, uh, the uh, you know the the two main albums that we did. Oh, salute. That that was just a, a collection of demos that we'd right. done. But salute in '92 was just massive in terms of sound. It was just a great album. Hopefully, at some point, there'll be a, a way to revisit some of that stuff. Whether you add in a song into a BSR set list or you do a special. But it, it has to re- be revived, I think. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I would love to, uh, to you know, to put that whole uh, you know thing back together again. Because, like I say, I, I just I, I loved writing you know the songs and uh, just performing it. And uh, you know, the RCA when we handed it to them, they, they're going, "Oh my God, we're six deep in, in, into this album." I I actually didn't know what they meant. I thought you mean. Like we're six feet under and we're we're dead and gone. No, no, no. We got six big hit singles on this. Wow, really? They put the first one out. It didn't do very well, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, welcome, welcome was, to 1992, though, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's really how ruthless the uh, the record company business was at that point. You know, uh, it, it was amazing. But uh, still, uh, you know, we had a great time doing uh, you know the two albums. We've still got uh, a lot of material for the uh, for a third album. So we'll we'll see if we can put that one together. Yeah, at some we'll see. Point. So let's talk about uh, Black Star Riders. Uh, All hell breaks loose. Came out 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, bit of a different lineup on that. You had Marco and and stuff. And 
just a great sounding album, but as you get to Killer Instinct, you can hear this maturation. The band is gelling. The band is coming together. You bring in Robbie Crane. Um, what was sort of the, the, the thought going into Heavy Fire and the third one? Was it just like, let's continue this sort of maturation and, and going with this sound? Or do you sit down and say, okay, let's keep reinventing ourselves? How do you, do you approach this one? I think you always have to think on the improvement side. Uh, I mean, even uh, Nick Rascal says, okay, we came up with a great album the last time, but this one's got to be even better, right? And <clears throat> so right off, the, right, right off the bat, there was pressure uh, on all of us to come up with a, a uh, even better album than All Hell Breaks Loose. So, uh, no, uh, sorry, Killer Instinct. So uh, we just kind of got stuck in, you know, and throwing the things out and putting stuff in and uh, being really critical about uh, what, what we were going to keep in in the album and what was not going to be kept in there. Uh, I thought Ricky just did a, a great job on, on uh, all of the lyrics. Uh, uh, Damon played some killer guitar, as did me and, uh, and Robbie, you know. So it, it was one of those kind of moments in our time, uh, the band's time, that it all just gelled really nicely together. Uh, at one point. Yeah, it really did. And uh, I'll say right off the bat, Dancing with the Wrong Girl, if that's not a single, just just pack it in because that, that is the best, well, not the best song. It's it's one of the greatest. But let's just get to Ricky Warwick for a second because, you know, you did, you were in a band with Phil, and mm -hmm. that is the voice for a lot of people. That's the voice of their generation. How mm -hmm. important was it getting a right voice? And, you know, you look at the songwriting credits on this one, He's on every song. I mean, he wrote, he, he wrote a part of everything. Um, right. How did you find him? What does he mean to you? Just, just the whole thing, because he is sort of this hidden talent for North Americans. You know, the Almighty and sure. stuff had a UK thing, but when you're sitting in Montreal, you go, the all who? And that, that's not to be disrespectful, but that's just <laughs> sort of the way it was. Um, well, you know, that, that's, you know, the problem with you know, bands at our level is we can't be, it's almost impossible to be known throughout. You know, and that's that's why, you know, you get out there and you, you play as many tours as possible and do as much pro promotion as possible to get that name out there. But, yeah, you know, Ricky, uh, Ricky is an absolute uh, ATM for lyrics. I mean, you just punch the button, you tell him, you, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, what do you think of this Rick, uh, riff here, Ricky? And he goes, hey, you know something, I got, a, I got a lyric for that. He'll do that almost every time. Uh, I think the lyrics to the album uh, were pretty much finished way before uh, any of the music was put down. So he's constantly uh, writing writing lyrics, coming up with you know different kinds of really cool little riffs and all that. So, uh, uh, he's a real kind of high energy guy. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He, uh, if we're not touring, he's out there doing an acoustic tour. You know, he just he won't stop. He's one of those he's one of those kind of high energy people, right? And it's uh, <laughs> it's really great to watch sometimes. And you know, and with that, it, it did. It, it reminded me a lot of Phil. Phil was the same kind of guy that uh, uh, he would not get depressed. Uh, you know, you couldn't stop. We were going to keep going. I'm bang, I'm bada bang. You know, it was. Uh, so both these two guys in attitude are are really you know quite the same. Uh, Voice-wise, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that, wow, you know, he, he sounds so much like Phil Lynott. And I, because I know Ricky so well and I knew Phil so well, I, I, I have a hard time actually uh, 
putting them up against each other and, uh, uh, you know, wow, does, does Ricky really sound like Philip? He's doing a great job on the list. Stuff, but, so I, I don't actually, you know, like that. I look at a guy who, when he writes the songs, he actually writes a story that, that goes along with it. This, you know, and that's the same thing that Phil did. And that's what I loved about Phil's lyric writing is uh, he was kind of telling you a story along with the, uh, with the, along with the really cool melody line. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, things that are the same between the two guys and there, and there's a lot of differences at the same time yeah and, and what some fans may not appreciate is at the same time as he was writing the heavy fire stuff he put out an album called when patsy klein was crazy hearts on trees <laughs> and stairwell troubadour so he essentially in a period of a year wrote 60 songs that made it to album i mean yeah who I, does I, that, that- <laughs> That's what I mean. The guy's a, a, an ATM lyric machine. He, he just never stops, right? It's uh, uh, he's very, very uh, prolific when it comes when it comes to the lyrics, and I, I am so appreciative of that because I know how tough it is to to come up with a, a really cool lyric that makes sense and sounds great. All and you're getting your point across all in a three and a half, four minute uh, session. You know, so very cool. Yeah, and you know. I, to say that he sounds like Phil is obviously a compliment, but I think the better qualification or qualifiers to say that he does justice to the Phil songs. You're not just getting some hack singing some thin lip. You've got a guy who's got talent and can make you proud to hear them and play them. And, you know, he does exactly. justice to those songs. So so good on him. Exactly. But, but at the same time, you know, when you hear him in uh, Black Star Riders, he, he really does have his own unique style. So And that's exactly uh, what I mean. To, to, to just sort of brush him off as, oh, he sounds like... No, he doesn't just... He has no, his personality. No, that's going to be... A, yeah, that's... Silly. Thanks for pointing that out. That, that would be a, a, a wrong thing to, to think. So, Heavy Fire and, and, of course, North America. Like I said, the last time I saw... Um, you guys, when it was sort of under the Thin Lizzy uh, banner, was in 2011. I haven't seen Black Star Riders live yet. Um, it's it's actually left an empty hole in my life. It's a, it's terrible. <laughs> but 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 on a serious thing, we should have come over to England. I know. I, I that that really seems to be the only option. But it, it, talk to me a little bit about the difficulty of getting to North America because you always have a fan that say, "God damn, they didn't play my city, and why yeah. don't they?" But it's not that simple. Um, you know, it's, it really isn't. You know, you, it, it's such a jump, uh, you know, over the, uh, over the, the pond there that, uh, you know, it costs, these days it costs uh, a hell of a lot of money to, you know, drag equipment and drag all the bodies and road crew and the whole thing across. I mean, you have to know uh, almost exactly how many, how many tickets you're going to be able to sell or you just can't do it. Uh, you you can't start going. I mean, we did a lot with Thin Lizzy where, where we would go over and we had no album to sell, but we would just go over and play because uh, we were bored or where we, we wanted to have some more fun. You know, you can't do that these days. Uh, everything around the peripheral edge of any rock band these days, they know exactly how much money they can squeeze out of you and they will get it. Uh, so that makes it a lot tougher to uh, uh, just, you know, by the seat of your pants. Let's go out and uh, let's let's go out and tour. No, these days you have to really plan these these things out. So, I mean, listen, you know, being being American, uh, living in in England, I would love to uh, to be able to go over to America and tour over there. And you know, there is talk about us getting over there. Uh, at at what point and uh, 
for what reasons, you know, like festivals or, uh, I, I don't know, you grab onto somebody else's tour. Uh, the, all of that is possible. And everybody in the band really wants to get to America to, uh, to show everybody what we've got. You know, I mean, we, we just did a, a near, near sellout tour here in the United Kingdom. You know, we're probably going to be doing close to those numbers. Uh, when we, uh, start in, uh, uh, May. In, in Europe. So, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, Mitch, you know, I'd, I'd love to, we'd all love to get over there yeah. and play. It's uh cause it's a fun place to be in uh, the, the rock audiences in America w- that are left uh, are really into, you know, this kind of music. So uh, it's, it's a great place to go and play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I personally vote for like a, did I get too depressing there? <laughs> no, but I, I vote for like a British invasion tour where you get you guys thunder and all these bands that have these great careers going on in the UK mm. and just, you know, I think that would be, a, but uh, back on a serious question though, the marquee name, thin Lizzy is easy. It, it sells, you know, yeah. boys are back in town, jailbreak. Is there a temptation to just say, okay, listen, in, in in the UK, we can be Black Star, but in, in the US, we're just going to have to bite the bullet and, and go under the Thin Lizzy mark. Or is that just not at all in the conversation? Uh, yeah, I think it was in uh, you know the very beginning of Black Star Writers, but now that we've uh, seen the you know the way we can affect an audience now with uh, with Black Star Writers. Uh, uh, I think it would be, I don't know, it, all, it would almost feel like cheating. You know, all right, we're going to change, and then we're going to go back to Thin Lizzy, and then when we go back home, we'll go back to BSR, right? I mean, I get the the, the theory, you know, behind it, but uh, I think once you, you know, put your foot down and say, this is what we're going to do, uh, yeah, and we got to be brave about it and you know, stick to your guns, you know, and I, I probably, most, I think that's what we're going to do uh, throughout now that's not to say we're never going to play, you know, uh, another Thin Lizzy set again. I mean, the reason uh, last year we went out and played because it was the uh, uh, 30 years uh, anniversary of uh, Phil's passing, and it was 40 years of the uh, uh, Jailbreak album. So, you know, I was, we were all under a little bit of pressure to, uh, to so you're not going to do anything, you know. It's like, well, and we we carved out five shows. Uh, you know, Germany, uh, Spain, uh, England, uh, 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 Scandinavia. I can't remember the other two. Uh, how terrible is that? Yeah. But but there was a, well, what I'm trying to get across is there was a reason uh, for doing it. So I think that's the way we're going to handle it now. Like, you know, when there's a uh, a really good reason to you know put uh, the Thin Lizzy machine back together, you know, we'll definitely go out and do it. But uh, that, like I say, there, there has to be a, a pretty good reason to actually do it. Yeah, and, and, and so let's just, just touch on that just real quick. So you did these shows in 2016. You brought right. out Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith and, of course, right. Scott from Judas Priest, right. uh, which, by the way, I think was very smart because if you had just taken the, the, the Black Star band and then just rebranded, I thought I thought that would have been maybe a little disingenuous but this made it special and unique and and you know good on you how was it to play with them because tom is obviously not a slouch and scott no. is obviously not a slouch so <laughs> exactly. how was that energy playing with those guys well it was actually really cool uh obviously you know scott and uh tom uh they were you know brought in probably three 
three and a half months before we were going to do this thing. So they had, uh, you know, plenty of time to sit there at home uh, with the headphones and, and just kind of shed all this stuff out. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be like an hour and a half of the music that they hadn't played before. No, actually, I think Scott had played a few of the songs in, uh, in, in other bands, but it definitely uh, Tom uh, had never uh, played outside of uh, uh, Aerosmith. Uh, from what he had told me, you know, he'd been in Aerosmith for 45 years and never once went out with any other bands, you know, didn't do any sessions, nothing. I mean, he was strictly Aerosmith the whole way. So to have Tom come out and agree to, uh, you know, to play uh, an hour and a half of Thin Lizzy songs, it was pretty amazing. I mean, he was really kind of busting his own, own uh, mold there. So that was that was pretty great. But, you know, with, with Scott, you know, when we did the Judas Priest thing, I uh, several times uh, went out front and watched, uh, you know, parts of uh, Judas Priest set. And, uh, you know, my eye always kind of went to him uh, because he's such a flamboyant drummer and so such great timing, and he, he just means everything that he plays. And I just said to myself, one of these days, I am going to get in a band with that guy. And so, so when it came time to, well, who, who's going to play drums for this? And uh, he was first on the list for me. And then there was uh, you know, a couple other guys from, from the other people. But uh, we called Scott up, and he said, great, I'm in a 1,000%. When do you need me? Straight off the bat. Didn't even have to think about it, which I thought was, was very cool. And he, uh, <clears throat> he was great on, on stage, you know, so you couldn't ask for much more than that. Did you, by any chance record any of those shows for any kind of use a cd down the road or, or dvd or is it just like no it's these fans get to see it and they'll just sort of live in their memory that's pretty much it i mean you oh, you saw obviously you saw you. the cell no. phones go up <laughs> right <laughs> so i'm sure there's plenty of really bad recordings on youtube but uh, there you go yeah so all right let me just talk real brief about thin Lizzy. i don't want to do sort of the whole um, history because you know it's been done and and we're here about Black Star, but uh, the twin sure. lead guitar style, the twin lead guitar, that's 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 the thing, right? You mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, Brian, Brian Robertson, right? Um, talk to me about that because obviously when you first did it, you didn't know, and 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 of course fans and writers and you know classic rock, they all start saying, hey, these guys are the twin lead guitar. Just talk to me about getting together and, and locking in and d d developing that style. And, and did you know you had something that was so super unique? And you know, just, uh, well, not really. I mean, I keep the word I keep you, uh, saying is that it was not premeditated at all. In fact, it uh, um, started out uh, pretty much on the second album, the Fighting album. Uh, it was a, it was a mistake. Uh, Brian had gone out into the studio. Uh, they started recording, and the uh, engineer, by mistake, had put this kind of millisecond uh, delay on it, right? And it fed back in harmony. Uh, and of course, the, uh, the engineer's going, "Oh, jeez, oh god, I'm sorry about that." You know, and he stops the tape, and Phil and I look at each other, and actually, that sounded pretty cool. Uh, so we brought Brian in, and. Uh, you know, I, I, it's either me or Phil or somebody. So why don't you go out there and just record this line? I'll sit in here and and just learn the harmony notes of that and go out and and, and record the harmony to it. And that's what we did. And you know, when we finished that particular line, I was like, wow, actually, that that sounds pretty cool. 
uh, I've got another line we can actually do that too. Why don't we try that on that one? You know, so uh, like I say, it wasn't a premeditated thing. Uh, there had already been, uh, you know, a couple of bands that, uh, you know, were doing the harmony guitar thing or had done it. But I think what people were seeing in, in Lizzie is we were doing it in a, in a kind of a different way, you know, the, the minor chords and, a, and in a rock situation uh, that uh, I guess hadn't been done before. So, so accurately after that, after that, you know, uh, accident, so Brian and I really started to jump into it, and we started to find places, you know, where we could put these uh, the harmony guitars, that, or we, we just make up sections to, you know, to put in this song or that song. So that's really kind of how it uh, it all worked out. Is that, by the way, sort of still how Black Star Riders records, where? you will, you know, have these sort of serendipitous mistakes that you leave in because with Pro Tools and, and fixing and pitch correction, and auto, I mean, you know all that nonsense. You have make, we lost we some of that mistakes. magic? Yeah, you don't make, make mistakes, don't right? Make... <laughs> no, but have we lost uh, the magic uh, in recording? Uh, no, actually, you know, the, the, I think, you know, more of the magic bits come from the, uh, the, the improv uh, kind of things. You know, when you're doing, you know, the solos and, or, or Ricky's doing uh, the vocals and all that, but when you're laying the bed down, uh, obviously that's got to stay, uh, you know, rock steady. But uh, you know, you're always kind of chopping and changing things in there, and uh, you you will make a mistake that actually sounds cool. So hey, let's go down that road there because that that was actually a cool mistake. That kind of stuff happens all the time, you know, with uh, probably every band out there. The, you know, the, the great mistake, you know, so. So yeah, sure. You know, we go on, go on with uh, with stuff like that. And that's what makes it so um, nice for a, for a, a rock fan is that you're getting still that rock sound, not this prepackaged, prefabricated. Uh, you know, um, the pop thing. You mean? Uh, huh? Yeah, I can't stand it. Can't stand it. Um, you mentioned <laughs> jailbreak. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, you mentioned jailbreak, uh, uh -huh. and of course, the album came out. At the end of March of 1976, and as we're speaking today, it is the end of March uh, 2017. So we're we're right in the anniversary part of it. But but you read, you know, the track listing: Jailbreak, Boys Are Back in Town, Cowboy Song, Emerald. I mean, it's essentially a greatest hits package. Um, uh, it, it feels <laughs> like it, doesn't it? So, yeah. I mean, I think when we do the uh, uh, you know the Lizzie set, I think there's like maybe seven songs or. Six songs from uh, from the Jailbreak album, which which is quite a few, because we've got eleven <laughs> albums, so we have to make room for uh, for uh, <clears throat> songs from the from the other albums. So, but it, it's tough to leave you know some of those songs out because you're always going to get people that go, why didn't you play such and such? Or what's what's the problem? You should have played, you know. So uh, the problem is our, our catalog, uh, especially in, in Europe and you know parts of America, it gets it gets pretty deep. So it's not so much what you put in the set; it's what are you going to leave out. So because we, you know, for the Lizzie thing, you're trying to please as many people as possible. So, but let's look at it on its 41st anniversary. I mean, obviously the songs stand up; that that there's no question about it because you're still playing them. But but what what do you remember about that, or what do you you know? It's right? what the Jailbreak album. Yeah, I mean, 41 years later, when you went into the studio, I mean, I know it's, a, it's sort of the, the, the cliche question, but do you ever get a sense, yeah, as we going into the studio, we're making magic on this, or is it always sort of like, oh, hey, fans happen to like this? Uh, actually, it was, it was more Project Fear. 
this was uh, the Jailbreak was the third album, and back in those days, you you were expected to uh, have have success on the third album. If not, there's the door. Uh, we heard this from uh, you know our management. Uh, we heard it from the record company, uh, people you did interviews with. Uh, so we were we were under the gun. You know, we had to come up with something. Uh, now, what, whatever that magic something is, I mean, who the hell knows? You know, all you can do is go in the studio with the songs that you have and hope to God that at the end of it, you know, somebody's going to like this. Uh, and that's pretty much what we did on the, on the Jailbreak album. Uh, I think, undoubtedly, we, we rehearsed a lot harder for that album. We... Uh, spent more time writing for that album, knowing that you know Project Fear was you know kind of tapping on your shoulder there. But uh, sometimes fear you know works uh, a magical in magical ways. You know, it makes you do things <laughs> that you maybe most likely wouldn't do. So, well, yeah, uh, I mean, it shakes you up and I, and it, it, it and it works. You know, necessity is the is the mother of invention, right? That that's what. There you go. So, so when you get to your third album, they say you got to be on point. You're like, all right, we're um, talking about great songs and and great albums and and you know, Cold Sweat, obviously from Thunder and Lightning, mm-hmm. great song. It is the yep. last album that you made, uh, barring you know live stuff and all that. Uh, tell me a little bit about that one, because here you, you've now stolen John Sykes, well, stolen, uh, borrowed, <laughs> hired from from you know John Sykes from Tigers of Pantang. Let's let's go with stolen. That that sound that makes better mm-hmm. press, <laughs> okay. right? No, no. But you get you get John Sykes in from Tigers of Pantang. He, he, you, no denying that he's a hotshot guitarist, but you're now in a situation where you have to, as the other guitarist. Play with a new guy and have a new guy, and you're expected to still have success. What was it like getting John in the band? Uh, obviously, a great talent. And just tell me about that album because it, it did end up being the last studio album. Yeah, and it was always going to be the last studio album. Uh, in fact, uh, Phil actually talked me into it because uh, I'd gone to his house, <clears throat> you know, a couple of months beforehand, you know, saying that you know my health condition, if you will, uh, was a, a bit magnified these days. And, and I, I can't, you know, can't, I've, I've got to get out of the band. I've got to get myself, you know, together. Right. Uh, and he pretty much freaked out. He said, no, 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 God, we can't do that. Jesus, what are you talking about? You can't do that to the fans. And we sat there and talked for like an hour where he talked for an hour. And I walked out of his house, and the next thing I knew, I was I was going in to quit the band, and I was walking out with the uh, the next album and the next world tour. So I <laughs> I walked out of his house going, "Now, how did the how the hell did that happen?" You know. Well, it's because Phil asked you. That's a whatever Phil <laughs> says, you do. That's that's just the rule. Yeah, he's I a think. great talker. You know, he's, <laughs> he was he was great at arguing and getting his point across. And uh, but yeah, you know uh, the. Uh, uh, Thunder and Lightning album, it, it, I thought it was, uh, you know, a really good way to end it off. I thought it was, there was some uh, really great songs on there with uh, some great playing. And uh, it would have been terrible if we would have ended the, uh, uh, on, on a bad album. That, that would have been, that would have just 
killed me and I think it would have just killed everybody in the band it's you know walking away with with a bad album so you know the attitude wise in the studio it was it was uh you know this is going to be a great album no doubt about it you know whether we knew that or not you know is uh, another matter but uh we actually did have the attitude of you know, we're going to make this as good as we possibly can uh even though knowing it's 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 the last I'm not really sure if John Sykes knew it was you know the last the last roundup you know uh, last album, last tour, the whole thing. Uh, but uh, but he he played great, you know. Uh, he came up with some some really great uh, uh, guitar stuff throughout that album. Uh, you know, gave me a little bit of a kick in the ass too. So uh, so it was great. It was it was a good way to end uh, end Thin Lizzy. Yeah, it really was. And 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 then we'll we'll just get to this before we we wrap everything up. In '96, though, you did these. Um, yeah, I don't. How do you, what's the word I want to use here? You marked the passing of ten, the ten years of Phil with a series of shows with John Sykes singing, and of course, right. one night uh, only came from it. Which, in, in terms, right. yeah, in terms of live albums, it, it is a fantastic live album, and I think John did a great, <laughs> great job on that. Looking I back at them, well, don't you don't you agree that he did a great job? I do. I, yeah. I, uh, I think I thought he did a really great interpretation of Phil, uh, you know, in guitar playing. It, he was once again the fabulous. So uh, uh, there was, you know, I had to really get, you know, talked into, you know, that whole situation because before we did the uh, uh, the ten year anniversary thing, uh, we actually did a, a seven show Jap- Japanese tour, and. Uh, he had called me like four times on this. Uh, you know, we've, we've really got to put, you know, Thin Lizzy back together again. and We can tour Japan. I know the promoters. And I'm going, no, no, no. no. So probably the fourth time of him calling, I said, to, I said, well, who the hell is going to sing this stuff in the first place, right? <laughs> and he said, well, I, you know, I thought I would. You know, and I, I thought, I don't remember John singing. I mean, he only sang backup things and. uh uh, and then Liz, he goes, yeah, I tell you what, let, let me uh, uh, send you, you know, three solo albums. And I was like, wow, three solo albums? Okay. So he sent them over to me. It, it, it sounded great. You know, his voice sounded good. And, you know, we talked again. You know, the problem with back, you know, in, you know, 94, 96, whatever it was, um, there was no template for this kind of thing, for putting a band back together again. There was no blueprint uh, so we were kind of because uh, bands were just weren't doing that at that point. So we were kind of making all this stuff up as we went along, and you know the Japanese thing went great. And but uh, you know we kept getting uh, you know letters, you know no emails at that point, letters in from the uh, to the fan club with uh, you know fans that were genuinely pissed off at us because. Uh, uh, basically, they were saying, "So you you put the band back together again after you know ten years, and you decided to go halfway across the world for God's sakes and play for the Japanese, but it was us who actually supported you guys for years and years. What's up with that? You know." So uh, you know, I said, "Yeah, well, you're ab- absolutely right." You know, so uh, the next year. We thought, well, okay, we'll we'll do ten shows and we'll do them all in Europe, you know, a couple in England and the rest in Scandinavia, Germany, whatever, and then we'll just knock it on the head and uh, and we did that 
and it all went down great. Uh, and you know, the the fans just kind of didn't didn't want to let it go. And uh, I was, to be quite honest, I was having a great time doing it. So, you know, we did it for a few years, uh, and it was great. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and and looking back at one night only, which I actually have loaded into my iTunes, and I've had it for the last two or three years loaded. It's just a fun album to listen to. I mean, you know, if you just take it for what it is on the surface of these guys playing these songs together, the version of Waiting for an Alibi, the version of Cold Sweat, it just sounds magical or monstrous or whatever def- you know, whatever word you it, want to use. It, it's a great It sounds radio. live, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that was a, it was actually a German radio program. There, there was no, you know... Uh, 64 track mach- uh, machine in the back there. It was it was actually a, a recorded for a, a radio program, and I think only three songs were supposed to be played on the the this this station, and, and that was it. I mean, they ended up uh, uh, recording the whole set, but you know, only only three songs later on were were, were going to be played, uh, and we'll give you the tape too. Well, okay, great. Uh, you made the most of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I tell you what, we we took a listen to it. And we thought, yeah, actually, this sounds pretty good, you know. So uh, uh, we decided, okay, we'll we'll put a, put a mix on it and and see what happens. And uh, I think it did okay, you know, uh, sales wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not really sure, but uh, but yeah, well, it, was, it was a good a good time was had by all. Well, I can certainly vouch for anybody who's out there, you know, looking at. Amazon.com or whatever. If you need an album to pick up just for the fun of it, that's that's a good place to start. Um, and then we'll finish oh, with this um, drummer, of course, uh, Jimmy. I guess is going to go do the rat thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that at all in terms of what does that mean for the band, or is it just like it, well, it's it's a little too early right now, Mitch? Okay. I mean, we're we're we've got uh, about seven weeks to go here uh i i know they're you know looking at drummers in in uh in america right now so we'll, we'll see what uh you know who who steps forward uh to be to play drums and black star writers is no easy thing it's a it's a pretty you know drum heavy uh, uh act you know so uh we'll, we'll we'll see who steps in the limelight and uh then we can talk about it then you know yeah. like I, you know, I'd like to talk to Jimmy a little bit more. Uh, it, the whole thing went kind of fast there, so uh, uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll leave that one. Yeah, we'll we'll leave that one, and it's too bad because there's a, there was a great chemistry and stuff. But uh, hey, well, I think we. I don't. I don't think we're going to lose any of the chemistry. You know, I mean. Oh it, yeah. It, sorry, it, sorry if I if you take that as that. No, I don't mean that. I no, just, no, 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 okay. no, no. I, I, but I'm just saying, you know, as good as Jimmy uh was and is you know there 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 are a lot of really talented uh, guys out there so i i i i'm very sure that uh, whoever steps uh, whoever sits on that seat is going to be great yeah well i'll i'll send you a few suggestions cuz i i got i know okay. but there you go no but i'll tell you the 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 former drummer of of journey dean castronova who also played in Aussie, every time there's a drumming thing he he sends me an email and says you you give them my name <laughs> So, <laughs> I know so, Dean. Yeah, Dean. He is. He's a killer drummer, man. Absolutely well, in killer. terms of backup vocals and stuff, that's... Oh, God. The guy can sing his ass off, you know? Yeah. But, but uh, he, he always says to me, whoever, whatever band, you tell them, right? <laughs> so, the, so, so give Dean a call if, you, if you're looking. But there you go. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, the albums are great. I have honestly bought them all. They're all in my iPhone. Uh, oh, great. They're, they're my walking music in the summer, and in fact, the um, 
the acoustic version of Killer Instinct and um, what, what are the other six acoustic songs? Whatever. They're just brilliant. I mean, the band really needs, for me, just I don't care about the other fans, just for me, make an album, <laughs> an acoustic album just for me because you really, really um, bring out a, a whole different level of emotion and stuff when you strip it well, down, and uh, it's great. It's yeah, great. Thank you so much, Mitch. Yeah, yeah you know, we uh, we do do these acoustic things from time to time. You know, Ricky and Damon do them, do them a lot. Uh, and I'll uh, get drafted in. Uh, you know, they drag drag me in kicking and screaming, but once I'm up there, I, I actually enjoy myself yeah. while I'm doing the acoustic thing. But it does. It, it uh, if if you're ever in any town where you know Ricky and Damon are at, mm-hmm. uh, you you really should go to it because uh, it's not just good music. It's a hell of a lot of fun. You know, yep. it's it's almost like a routine, an improvised routine they have going on up there, and you ended up. Just laughing your ass off all night long. It's 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 good stuff. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Scott, always a pleasure. I certainly look forward to some uh, BSR shows or Black Star Rider shows over here in North America. Cool, um, man. And I look forward to album number four, five, six, and more. So there you go. <laughs> thank well, you. Thank for... you so thank you thank you so much, Mitch. And everybody will try our hardest to to get out there and and, and just play for you. Just play a lot of good music for you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good one now. Thanks, Mitch. Bye-bye now. Okay, bye. And there you have it, folks. My interview with guitarist Scott Gorm of the band Black Star Riders. The new album is Heavy Fire. Do yourself a favor and check that out. While checking stuff out, head over to Leverty.com to check out what Bill Leverty is doing. And thank you to him for the rock news. Kulik.net and soon BruceKulik.com to check out everything Bruce Kulik and Revenge. And, of course, me on Twitter at Mitch LaFon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. Instagram is at Mitch underscore LaFon. And uh, the Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon Facebook is also uh, there, so check that out. And, uh, you know, Google. Just Google. Google Mitch LaFon. There you go. That That's what I do, uh, at least once a day. Um, all right. Bye for now. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Chris Jericho, pro wrestler, rock and roller, actor, philanthropist. He's the best. And now you can dress like the best at Chris Jericho's House of Scarves. Chris Jericho's House of Scarves has scarves of all shapes, sizes, and fabrics for all your scarfing needs. Like a light-up scarf for a night on the town or a light-up scarf for sailing on your yacht. And yes, even a light-up scarf for sex stuff. All of Chris Jericho's House of Scarves scarves are guaranteed to match your wardrobe as long as it's briefs and boots. Just visit one of our 37 locations, all located within five minutes of Tampa's Dying Mall. And don't forget to tell them, Team Tiger Awesome sent you. Chris Jericho's House of Scarves are not affiliated with Chris Jericho. Paid for by the Committee for the Advancement of Scarves.